so we're still in resurrection. And um, it's, a, it's a pretty wonderful place to be. And I love John. Um, I remember, it must have been, well, it's hard to say, it might have been 2007, it must have been. I was preaching one night in uh, Fisherwick and um, I was given a passage in Revelations and I haven't preached much in Revelations, but uh, the next day, I think, the 40th anniversary it would have been, it was 2007, of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was coming out and obviously my mind was thinking of Monday release dates and Sergeant Pepper's and I remember thinking that if any of the biblical writers could get close to Sergeant Pepper's in the psychedelic 60s, it was John, whether in his gospel or whether even more when he was in Patmos and saw that incredible vision. He's poetic, he's imaginative, um, but he's also incredibly personal because last week we were thinking on the radio about the 47 times he used the word life in the gospel according to John. And of course, as well as life, there's an incredible amount of love in both John and his gospel and in his letters as well. And we're back to that love here in John chapter 21. Now, the first thing to say is that there's many who suggest that this is not John. Because if you remember last week, Jean Houlihan read a pretty conclusive ending to John. These things have all been written um, so that you might believe. And then suddenly there's this extra chapter. I'm not going, going into the detail of whether that's true or not. If it was an additional um, chapter that was written by uh, John's community after him, they're suggesting it's all to do with Peter's leadership. And we can understand that because if you read the letters, you find that Paul's letters and Peter's letters and all the letters, at some stage of them, they're usually trying to defend some sort of um, uh, who we should be trusting and who, should, who are the leaders of the church. And the rumor is that Peter was being question marked because, of course, those three denials were pretty major. And could somebody lead the church that had denied Jesus so publicly at the time that Jesus needed them the most? And maybe, maybe this story that we get in Luke chapter 5, which is in a very different part of Luke's gospel than is in John's, um, is brought out in order to do that. And then, of course, we have those three recommissionings almost. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. You can understand Peter being Peter that he would get a wee bit angry when the Lord said to him a third time, Peter. He didn't actually say Peter. He said Simon, which is the name he used way back before he called him Peter. And I don't know whether you're a football fan or not, but this bizarre thing happened, was it last week or the week before, when Aston Villa were playing Leeds, where um, Aston Villa were given a goal. So what happened was, if you can imagine this, even if you're not a football fan, if you can imagine this, one of, one of, the, one te one of the team's players went down injured and they kicked the ball out. And what you're supposed to do then is you're supposed to give the ball back to the team that kicked the ball out. And when they did that, somebody dipped in and scored. It's not really the etiquette. So they were kicking it back to the other team and this guy probably just had a moment where he lost his sanity and nipped in and scored. So... That was not the etiquette. So what they did was, there was after a bit of a fight in the touchline, there was some sense came. It's a bit like Parliament or Stormont. After a bit of a fight, some well, no, it's not 
anywhere like those other two. Um, some sense came and they let the other team walk in a goal to even it up. It seems to me as I was reading this this week that it's almost what Jesus does with Peter. There's three denials. Those are hardened Peter. They're bound to be hardened Peter. If we try to get into the life of Peter, those had to be difficult moments. Probably not the moments themselves. Probably the moment after the cock crowed and he realized that Jesus had been right. And they denied Jesus at the time when it was most necessary to be with Jesus, where he'd promised to be with Jesus. You can only imagine what Peter's mood was, what his disposition was going through the cross. And even out of resurrection, you can understand what it must be like to face Jesus after you've just done that to Jesus. And it would seem to me that here Jesus is putting that right in a very tangible way for Peter. And though Peter might get frustrated at being asked the three times, we're getting the healing three times. We're getting the redemption three times. We're equalizing in the football to say, Peter, <coughs> that's it, sort it. <coughs> Excuse me if I, if I don't cough too hard here. Um, that's it, sort it. That's it, sort it. So for Peter, this was a time of rehabilitation. And I think as I look at the passage, and forgive me, but you'll find that there's 10 years of some of my stories might sneak in here and the two things I want to bring out of it. There's two things that happen in this passage. There's a personal vocational redemption and then there's a more general call to discipleship. <clears throat> and I've been thinking through the first one and I'm thinking John's very personal. John's writings are very personal. So here we are in a congregation that's not the congregation it normally is on a Sunday morning. So what you have to maybe think for a moment or two here is, okay, so uh, God has taken half of the congregation out of this morning. So uh, whatever Stockman's preaching this morning is not for them, uh, we hope. Um, um, so therefore, this might be more for me. I couldn't help but wonder, as, as pastorally I was putting this together, are there some of us who are where Peter was? And maybe we're feeling that our sense of relationship with Jesus and God is some sort, some way tarnished. It's some way strained. Um, and, and somehow we're a, a bit like Peter where we're not sure what to do and therefore we'll just go back and do the old thing we did and we'll go fishing or um, whatever it is that you do. That you had this calling, that you had this very clear invitation by Jesus to follow but that maybe things have distracted maybe things have stopped you fulfilling that in the way that they were meant to be fulfilled and maybe this morning you can find some empathy with Peter but more than that you can find the same recommissioning as Peter got seems to me that when Jesus first commissioned Peter way back in those first times when they didn't catch anything. I know I tell you a lot, but they, they never catch anything. I don't know what sort of business they were running, but there's no evidence they ever catch anything until Jesus tells them where to put the net. Um, he's a carpenter, so I'm not sure he should know in his human form at least. Um, so, But way back in that first calling, um, there's a very specific call to, to Peter. The, the, the disciples... 
get those moments where suddenly Jesus enters into their lives and says, leave that, come on, follow me. There's something up ahead that's different. There's something up ahead that's going to transform not only you, but the world. Come on. There's a real clear commission and call. And that's been damaged, been damaged in the soul of Peter. And here's a chance for Peter to, to recommission again. Is there something within your own life where that's there? Um, I was thinking about this, and I probably have told you, I, I, I know that I do it to every American group that Father Martin and I speak to. Um, I talk to them about how uh, when I came to faith as a 17-year-old, I came to faith with no... Um, there was no iceberg of faith given to me because though I went to Sunday school and though there was faith within my home, there there wasn't the um, there there wasn't a kind of a an ecclesiology or a Christian socialising in our home. We didn't go to church every week. I went once a year when I got a prize for doing the school uh, Sunday school exam or something like that, and and uh, so so I didn't get the package at 17 I, I came fresh to faith and fresh to Jesus but it seems to me that it wasn't very long before that that and, and I, I looked into Jesus for myself I didn't go to any missions to look into Jesus I didn't um, I, I had friends who were Christians and therefore they sent me off on this journey of asking myself is God Jesus you remember last week I was telling you about the minibus journey back from the the GB weekend in Port Rush and we'll, we'll keep that dangling for a number of years before I tell you all about that but um and just so for me it was who is this Jesus and I discovered that Jesus was this real radical kind of revolutionary guy and I really kind of took to that and I was really keen to follow that Jesus and as I look back on it I think it wasn't very long before I got encrusted I would call it encrusted with a lot of stuff that comes with Northern Ireland evangelicalism or whatever it is. You get encrusted with a lot of stuff. So from this following of a radical Jesus, we diminished it to your good living, you don't smoke, drink or swear. I actually thought Jesus was about a whole lot more than the smoking and the drinking and the swearing and I was pretty sure he never smoked and I was pretty sure he did drink actually and the swearing well that would depend on how you translate some of the Greek words but only found that out a bit later but it was diminished to that kind of thing you're good living oh, do, you, do you remember that you're good living um, I think the devil would settle well for good living there was something about the Jesus that I encountered that was far more far more three more three dimensional than than this um very one-dimensional idea of what it was to be good living but I'd gotten crusted by um, probably church peer pressures and um, uh, and all kinds of other things and my original vocation and I, I think about this in the line of my the piecework that I'm that I'm involved in because of you give me that opportunity of coming here. Because way back in 1980 or 81, I told you recently, I wrote this letter to the Balamina Guardian and, and, um, and then was radically trying to get us to love our Catholic neighbours. And then I didn't love any Catholic neighbours for another 30 years after that. So something happened in between. It was as if I got this very clear commission. You're 17. You find Jesus. He says, love your enemy. You're living in Northern Ireland? Not much. You don't need to be a brain surgeon to work out who your enemy is. But for 30 years, you don't do it. Something went wrong in between. And I would call that the encrusting of 
peer pressure, family pressure, church pressure. I would call that the own personal fear of stepping outside those boundaries and lines. And then you dragged me out of the chaplaincy gates into Clonard Fitzroy and then your man McGill came down to do Irish lessons and whatever happened. I can remember that morning I stood up in front of you to confess the sin of the day before. And the sin of the day before was that I turned down an invitation to the Sinn Féin Ardèche because Martin had been invited and had rung up Ken Newell to find out what he should do about the invitation and Ken Newell told him he should go but that he should take me. Thank you, Ken. And how I wrestled with that and all that encrusting in that one day was overwhelmingly too heavy for me. What if the cameras panned round? Because we were only invited to sit there. What if the cameras panned round and there was me and Father Martin? What would the family think about that? What would the church think about that? Would I be on talk back the next Monday and people asking me if I thought the Pope was a Christian or all those things come into your head and you think, no, 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 I'm going to turn that one down. And then the next morning, the very next morning I got up and I confessed right here in Fitzroy that I'd done the wrong thing. But I'd done the wrong thing because all that encrusting by the church had forced me to do the wrong thing. That was probably the day. That was probably the day the Holy Spirit smashed all the encrusting. Because when we got the invitation the next time, sadly it wasn't to go and just sit there. It was to go and speak at the Ardesh. We knew what we were going to do then because all the encrusting had gone and we had to do it. We had to go. We had to bring reconciliation and grace into that particular forum. But that's what can happen. We get a vacation. And it seems to me as I look back at the 17-year-old self... There was something pure about that calling. There was something in that moment where I'm looking out at the stars asking if God exists or doesn't exist. When I got home that night and decided, yes, I'm going for this. When I encountered that Jesus, that there was something pure about that encounter. It was almost as if God was in the room and the purest of stockmen there could be was somehow there in the room. And then I spent the rest of my life trying to get back to the clarity of that vocational vision. And I'm only saying that because it might somehow, you might empathize with that. Maybe yourself, you might find something of yourself in it because Peter would have found something of himself in it. There's almost this going back to that moment on the shore the first time when Jesus said, Leave those nets and follow me, Simon. And from now on, you're going to be Peter and you're going to be in quite a journey. And here we are three years later and we're back in that original moment. We're back, Peter, looking back at himself, seeing himself and being recommissioned and all the encrusting falling off of the last number of weeks. And then he's ready, ready for what's coming up ahead of him. General discipleship. I used to, when I was doing church weekends back in chaplaincy days, I, I did a few weekends where my theme was, if only Jesus had said to Peter. You've heard me on this before. If only Jesus had said to Peter. And I used to do four talks over the weekend. If only Jesus had said to Peter. 
put your hand up at a rally. That's so easy. Go to some evangelistic rally. When the preacher then says, one more hand, you put your hand up and you're in. And that's it. That would be really easy. But Jesus didn't say to Peter, put your hand up at a rally. Jesus said to Peter right at the end of Paul's reading this morning, follow me. If only Jesus had said to Peter, come and sing old hymns that we all know or new hymns that we all know because the younger ones don't know the old hymns and the older ones don't know the new hymns and we've got to be sensitive about that in Fitzroy. Let's come and sing songs every Sunday. Well, again, that would have been quite easy. But he didn't. He said, follow me. If only Jesus said, I'm going to give you a couple of creeds and if you could go over and let Desi and a few of the others just talk you through them for a couple of years and we get them sorted, that's great. How oh, easy that would have been? Well, not particularly easy for me because I'm sure Desi had to fail me once before I passed it, but we'll not go back to that, those other hurts and encrustings in my life. Um, but it would have been easier than those words. Follow me. Because that's what the evangelicalism that I picked up was. It was almost so one-dimensional that it was really quite easy. But this idea of following Jesus, following Jesus to deny ourselves and take up our crosses, to sacrifice ourselves, to wash the feet of those around us, to go where the Roman centurion was and say, I'd never seen such faith in all of Israel, to go and sit with the Samaritan woman at the well and talk to her, to do these crazy, mad, upside-down things of following Jesus, they were much more difficult, much more difficult than some of the things I was told in the one-dimensional sense it was. And so we come back to something that uh, people have made fun of for many years that I say. It's from my mate Rich Mullins, if you remember me saying this. Do you want to be good or do you want to be gods? I mean, not that you're gods and that you become divine, but that you're God's people, you're God's children, you're God's ambassadors with an apostrophe between the D and the S so that you're owned by God. It's really easy to be good. It's really easy for good living. It's not quite so easy to be gods, to do the thing that God wants you to do. That's much trickier. That comes with some grief. I told you I wasn't supposed to laugh this morning. Got a bit of a pain in the chest, but last week I was described as the protected liberal elite. Oh yeah, that's me. After last Sunday on the radio, there was a little backlash from some wings of the establishment. And I'm the protected liberal elite. Now, I'll take liberal quite happily. I'll swing it, actually, and wave it. But protected, I haven't been convinced. And elite, I'm definitely not convinced. But uh, that's the mess you get into when you try to do this following. Because sometimes you don't get the response you might want to get. Peter's told very clearly here at the end of this that it's not going to look good for him in the end. Does he want to be good or does he want to be God's? 
Does he want to go for it? Or does he want to remain where he is? The invitation's back to him. We've equalized. The three goals have been scored. Now, Peter, are you going to go and feed my sheep? Are you going to go and feed my lambs? Are you going to continue the mission you're going to be on? Because when you're old, it's going to be tough out there. It's going to be tough out there. And to finish, I want to just bring two things together here. One of them is the follow me of this chapter, which might be the last chapter of John. And the other one is what might be the last chapter of John and the chapter before. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Follow me. Now can I say those are both the same call. They're both the same call. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus wants to send us to feed the sheep and to feed the lambs and to turn the world around. But he calls us to follow him. Now, if you get the difference in them, one of them is, I'm going to send you. So I'm right behind you as I push you out there. And the other is, follow me. And he's not just so much behind you in that one. He's saying, come on, come after me. And I think both are true in our lives. There will be moments when Jesus is saying, come on, come on, shift it, run the race, perseverance, let's get over here. But every time he does it, remember that as the Father has sent him, he's sending us. And though he's out in front of us, he's also in behind us and begin to sound like St. Patrick here. But it's that kind of thing. He calls us to follow, but he sends us to follow. Now, where are we this morning? How are we this morning? I was going to do this thing with you, but it's interesting we're still Presbyterian. I wanted you to get your eyes to fall shut. I wanted you to imagine that you were in a wooden hut. And then you come out of the wooden hut and you find you were on your favourite beach. Let's do it. What's your favourite beach? Where's your favourite beach? I'm in Cape Town. What a beach. And it's just a gorgeous day. Well, it is in Cape Town anyway. And then as you look up the beach, there's somebody cooking a few fish. You just walk up the beach to the one who's doing the fishing or doing the cooking of the fish. And you sit down and Jesus is right there beside you cooking fish for you. How do you feel about your relationship with him as you sit down to take the fish off a fork or however you're going to eat it that he's given you? Because the truth is that like with Peter, he's evened it up. He's walked through Calvary. He's come out through resurrection. He's ascended into heaven. Jesus is in charge of this. And he's saying to you, I can recommission you right now. As the Father has sent me, I want to send you. Follow me. Here's the invitation again. You remember that invitation you got? Here it is again, right now. But this, your favorite beach with just whatever barbecue. Maybe you don't even like fish. What does Jesus send you right this moment in time? Sit beside him for a moment and then I'll pray.
Lord, what would it be like if we could sit down beside you at a barbecue on our favourite beach? How would we feel? Would we sense your grace? Because Lord, as Peter sat down, he probably wasn't sure about that grace that morning. He'd denied you. He'd seen the empty tomb. He was pretty convinced. And then he'd gone back fishing. And here he comes and you're sitting on the beach and you're ready to restore him again by your grace and your love. Lord, may we know that grace and love this morning. That sense of restoration and recommission. May we find ourselves as we truly are with the encrusting off, ready to be whoever it is we're called to be as we follow you. You're inviting us to follow, Lord. You're warning us of what's up ahead, but you're challenging us with the joy and the zeal and the fulfillment of it. Lord, as you invite us this morning, may we sense you sending us May we hear you calling us and may we follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.